Want the reward? Do the damn work. Challenge yourself. Inspire change. Choice, not luck. Good afternoon, everybody. Todd Crandall from the Ignite Euphoria podcast. Hope everybody's doing well. And I have one Miss Skyler Crandall with me today. Hi, Skyler. Hi, Dad. <laughs> Your most special guest. Right. <laughs> oh, boy. You can see how this is going to go. So, uh, since, as usual, you didn't do your homework, I will feed you the questions for this, right? So all kidding aside, what we're talking about here is creating new opportunities, which you have a ton of those going on. So what new opportunities and things are you exploring and eventually want to do that you're now pursuing? Um, I'm starting my master's at the University of Toledo in January of 2021. And why are you doing that? Uh, to further enhance my clinical powers here. Uh, let me do, I want to do this with that. So how did you even get into actually working at Racing for Recovery? And what, what was that process like? Uh, I started out doing like the behind the scenes work of filing papers and getting my CDCA while doing that. Once I got my CDCA, I started working more hands-on with the clients and being more involved in their lives and learning more about them and what they went through to then go on and get my second CDCA, which was kind of my final push to go on towards my master's. So in that, where did you decide, like, I want to really do this and not just have it, a, have it be a, like a summer job where you're like, I, I'm going to do this for my career? I think once graduating from... Walsh and getting my undergrad there and coming here and working over the summer and realizing like I actually liked doing this and enjoyed doing this and it didn't feel like a job to me was when I really decided to push for that. So I want to talk a little bit about our, I guess our, your upbringing or our, our history, how you've grown up in this and you've said that a lot in group. How, how do you think growing up in this has led you to being a part of racing for recovery on a bigger scale? Uh, well, growing up in this, I've learned everything of what not to do and what not to involve myself in in certain environments that they've all been in and that they've unfortunately had to go through. I've never had to do that. Um, I don't know. I guess, like, I don't know. Well, I mean, you li you literally have grown up in this. And I, I, you, I used to take you to support group meetings by the time you were – I don't know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine years of age. Do you, mm -hmm. do you remember like being there at that young of an age and what it was like listening to those support group meetings? Yeah, I remember going the Thursday nights at the church and sitting there and hearing people's stories and knowing that I don't want to do any of that stuff that they've done. So how has that helped shape you to be the, you know, and I'm I'm being serious, the awesome, compassionate person that you are. How, how did like listening to people in there and everything that they went through, literally, how did that help you mold you into the person you are today? It's taught me to be a lot more compassionate and kind and understanding to people. And instead of reacting of exactly how I'm feeling at that moment to sit back and think about how they're feeling and go off of like why they're feeling that way, which has changed my whole mindset on just life if that makes sense it does do, do you think had you not grown up in this like if I didn't start racing for recovery and was just a I guess like I used to be a pharmaceutical sales rep where do you think you would have not gained by being in that environment I've gained a lot of people skills and like communicating with people that I may not understand or they might may not understand me as much. Um, I've learned how to deal with my emotions more and deal with how other people are feeling and how I'm going to react to that. I just feel like I, I would be a completely different person than what I am now. You know, one of the things I've watched in you since you've been working here is and you're you're better at it than I am and you you learned it a heck of a lot quicker it's you still have the kindness um heartfelt <clears throat> care but you are 
you are direct. There is a no uh, BS tone with you. It's mm -hmm. I care, but this is how it is. How, where did, where did you get that? Because you, you didn't get it from me. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, I just watching people, like I don't want to be walked over here and I want people to respect me and I'm giving them the respect. So I deserve the respect back. And by me being strict with people, I think that makes them respect me more because I'm the youngest worker here. So I feel like if I'm letting people walk all over me, people will be able to think they can do whatever they want. And that's not the case. You know, so this is interesting, and I wonder, I don't think we've really talked about this before, even in group. I know we haven't as a, a father and daughter, but I, I have said that I, if I raise our kids to like who they are, I've done my job. And mm -hmm. what I hear you saying there is you have self-esteem and self-respect, correct? Yeah. That's the difference. I didn't have any of that growing up. I had no self-esteem. I had no self-respect. And I think that's why I've struggled even in my own profession of not being maybe as direct sometimes with people as I should be. And I'm, I'm proud and I'm thankful that you, you have that. You mm -hmm. know. So what is it like at your age to actually like who you are? Uh, it's great because I don't have to like look in the mirror and hate myself when I look in the mirror. I'm happy with the person I am today and how I look and how I am internally. Do you feel that like coming in here, were you worried that not having experience as being a drug user, that that would be a, a hindrance to you with working with people? At first, yeah, and I ran into that a few times with people saying, like, well, you didn't have a drug problem. Like, how are you going to be able to help me? But I've grown up in this environment my whole life. I know how it is. I know how I can help people, and I can show them the opposite side of that and to live a better life that way instead of doing what they used to do. That's one thing that you've taught me in here is truly the value of not having the experience of being a drug user because mm -hmm. I used to come from the school of thought of like how are you going to teach us if you've never gone through it and that has changed with watching you work with clients because even in our IOP groups the goal is to get people to like who they are mm -hmm. and what other better example of somebody who's always liked who they are and that's another asset that you're not bringing to this do you we're talking about new challenges do you find that it's is challenging for you to do at times to like myself no to sorry do you find it challenging to convey that message to the people who are coming into racing for recovery no not really because i think when i set that like the standard of how i'm going to be with them and how i expect them to be towards me it kind of just flows right off the bat when I meet with them. Give me an example of where you've done that with somebody and maybe give me an example of like when it was maybe difficult at first and how you worked that relationship to making it productive for that individual who's seeking our help. Well, I had said individual who did not want me as their case manager because I do, did not have experience and they did not want me to know the stuff that they've been through because I was young and they didn't want to expose me to that type of stuff. So they were removed off my caseload and then eventually saw how I was with other people and wanted me back. And now we have a great relationship and they're able to talk to me about anything and they're, they always tell me they're grateful to have me as their case manager because I've helped them a lot. So what do you think it shows about that particular individual that she didn't want you as your case manager? I'm it, The way I'm hearing it, it wasn't a negative thing. It was mm -hmm. almost a protection thing. Yeah. How does that make you feel and how did you view her after learning how why they were thinking that way? I was a little upset at first because that's never happened to me before of saying like, oh, I don't want Skylar as my case manager. But once I knew why she felt that way, I respected her for it. How was that transferred into actually on a therapeutic level of, of building that relationship? Can you ask that again? Yeah, that was a smart question. Yeah, yeah right? I'm not that smart yet. <laughs> yes, you are. No, <laughs> clinically or therapeutically or, you know, 
building that relationship with that person. How has, when she came back, how were you able to understand each other more that it's turned into productivity for that individual? Just better communication we have now, and she's able to talk to me about anything she has going on because she knows that like I understand and can give advice back and listen to her when she needs to be listened to. What have you learned from working with her? It was hard at first. It was a lot of work. Um, but now that we have a solid, the solid relationship we do have now, it's gotten a lot easier to manage. And she's doing great. And close to a year, I think, coming up for her? In March. Okay. Well, four months off, whatever. Ah, that's a, that's a year, right? <laughs> uh, okay, let's switch gears a little bit. We're talking about new challenges. And part of Racing for Recovery, we talk about nutritional, physical, emotional, psychological, all these things. How has your nutrition brought you new challenges that you've overcome? And what's that, what, what has that experience been like? I've been vegetarian for a lot of years. And then now that I'm working here more hands-on and when we preach all the time about our other, the non-dairy diet and all that, I've transitioned to not eating dairy anymore, which has helped me. Like I don't feel sluggish anymore. I have more energy and everything we talk about in group. I want to be able to say like, yes, I'm doing this. It's helping me so it can help you too. I was thinking of our uh, staff group chat yesterday morning. I think it started at like 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. Everybody was chiming in by at least, what, 6.15, 6.30. Everybody on the staff was chiming in. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Um, What did you think of just being a part of that? I love our banter that we always have in that group chat. And it was cool. Like I was in my Pilates class and all the texts were coming through on my watch and I could just see everyone was up doing something and it was just cool to see that do so with respect to the nutritional aspect has that been was it a a difficult challenge or or was it a new opportunity that you embraced what you know how was that I tried the plant-based lifestyle before and I noticed myself feeling like sick when I was in school Um, but now that I'm doing it again and trying it again I feel a lot better and it's working for me what what new challenges are you taking on on a physical level? Like you talked about, you've been doing Pilates for quite a quite a bit now. Mm-hmm. You're also doing it at Racing for Recovery. Like where where did that originate from, and where do you think that's going to lead you to? I don't know. <laughs> what do you mean? You've been doing. Why did you get into it? What made you even get into it initially? I saw someone on Instagram post about the. Toledo hot room and how they've been doing it. So I wanted to try it, got the starting membership for it and just loved it ever since. And I've been doing it for over a year. You brought this up yesterday. Talk about when you first went in there, where you positioned yourself in the room and why and how that's uh, evolved into different spots in the room and why. I, as soon as I walked into that room, I'd go into the top left corner and I would always sit there. But now every time I go in, I challenge myself to go to a new spot just to get out of my comfort zone. So we've talked about the self-esteem aspect that you have. Mm-hmm. Think of people that are coming into racing for recovery that have zero self-esteem and how, I, I guess, terrifying or frightening it would be to even go in there, right? Can you? And that's back to empathy, right? So how are you becoming more empathetic towards the people that are coming in here. I just try to understand like where they came from and where they are coming from and where they're, they will go. So I try to show them that like I was the same way going into the hot room. You can overcome that. Just challenge yourself every day, set a new goal for yourself every day to just do something more than what you did yesterday. So are you finding any new challenges? I mean, you're now teaching it here. Mm-hmm. Is there anything with respect to Pilates that's a, a new focus or a new challenge that you want to pursue in 2021? I'd like to actually get my Pilates like instructing license. So I'm like certified in that. I just don't know when I'd have the time. <laughs> Why do you want to have that? So I can work outside of here too in like a studio or maybe even eventually work at Hot Room. 
just so I'm more official. There you go. <laughs> um, we were doing this last night, which I, I learned something about you. When we were talking about, and again, it's another thing that Racing for Recovery does, having a spiritual piece, not, not necessarily a, a God-focused or a one-dimensional religion approach, but you had talked about a different way of viewing like God on that level. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I, again, as your dad, I've never heard you talk like that. And when you started getting all hippie in 1960s <laughs> on me, I was like, whoa, what's this about? Uh, I just don't think there's like a old man in the sky. I look at it as like energies attract each other. And like, if I walk into a room, I want to have like a high energy like everyone can feel it it's vibrant like that type of stuff and like that's how I make connections with people based off of their energies I feel like do you how do you take that and turn it into I don't know if I want to even call this a challenge or maybe do you view that as a challenge to get that vibe absorbed by other people you encounter I mean, that's like what I'm trying to say is, is that a mindset that you want to deliver to other people? And do you find that challenging? Um, no, just, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? No, it's like when, you, I mean, hearing you talk like that, that sounds, I mean, that's a cool vibe, but I'm thinking of other people that may not have that. Yeah. Do you find it challenging to try and get them to have that I think I connect well with people that are outgoing because I'm outgoing and like when people may be like not in a, the best mood that day I'll try to like bring them out of it by making them laugh or say something silly and just joke around with them and hope that they'll come out of that and like bring up their energy type thing but sometimes it doesn't always work sometimes people just want to be in a bad mood those people that choose to be in that bad mood like that, how do you, what do you do with that? I talk to them and see maybe why they might be feeling that way and what they can do to get themselves out of it, whether it's like exercise, go listen to music, read, go pray, whatever they want to do to like get out of that funk they're in or take a nap. I don't know. <laughs> do you, if it's not going anywhere, then do you remove yourself from the situation? Yeah, because they're just not meant to be in my life then at that point. So this is a, a difficult question. It kind of ties into like, I guess, New Year's resolution and stuff. But how are you removing negative obstacles from your life? And do you find that challenging or do you find it rewarding to do so? I find it rewarding because I have the self-respect for myself not to let any negative or bad energy or people into my life. And if that's how they want to be, they will not be in my life. See, this is, once again, we're talking about the power of self-esteem because myself included and many people that come in here, we don't have that mm -hmm. view yet. And again, that's another asset of you and you know, Ariana never had a, a drug yeah. or alcohol problem. So it's not always about, well, you have to have experiences doing drugs to be effective in this mm -hmm. because you clearly don't. And everybody's trying to get that same thing where they like who they are. Right. Um, what else do I want to talk to you about? What, like, are there any other challenges personally or professionally that you are afraid of tackling or are pondering pursuing anything coming up that you're like, oh, I, I thought about doing that. No, I'm getting my master's in January. I'll graduate with that in 2023 in the spring. Um, yesterday, I was a little nervous of like going and doing it, but after making my schedule yesterday, I'm excited for it. Awesome. And what classes are you taking? I don't know. I don't have my schedule in front of me. I'm taking some substance abuse class in the fall or the spring. So is this where you're going to be asking me about, hey, Dad, what was this drug like and what was that drug like? You know, you'll probably get an A on that paper. Right. <laughs> um, what do you think are challenges? <laughs> I'll ask you this way. What challenges do you think your siblings have 
or may have. I mean, you know, Connor's going to be a junior at Bowling Green. Madison's going into her freshman year in college. Mm -hmm. God knows what Mason's going to be doing as a junior at Northview. But (laughs) what do you think your siblings, the challengers that they're going through, how do you think you can help them from some of the stuff you've learned? Just having them be comfortable with coming and talking to me about, like, stuff they're going through. Like, Madison's gotten a lot closer with me lately talking to me about stuff. Connor's more of just his own person, driven to do what he wants to do, can do it independently, doesn't really need anyone else. Mason, lost cause. (laughs) Mason reminds me a lot of me without a drug problem. You know, that's the... He's a good boy. He's just sure. a challenge, right? Yep. Um, well, let's talk about this. What do you, what, uh, this is, hopefully this goes well, but the challenges that you've seen our family endure since starting racing for recovery and many of them that we've overcome because look at this place and look at how we're living. How have those, even though they've been difficult at times, how have they helped you as an individual? Um, I don't know. I know what's like what I want in a relationship, what I want in a family, what I don't want in a family, what I don't want in a relationship. Um, Do do you have pride in what we've achieved as a family? Yeah. How how so? Like how is, how really is what, and I don't want to get into the, the the stuff we've gone through with that um but the the emotions behind it the struggle or whatever to and that we've overcome how how do you view that i mean you you view you said you you view it with pride but what is what does that really feel like then it's empowering to know that like you're gonna hit life's hardships and it's not always going to be easy but you can get through it are you well, I'm asking you stuff that I don't, we've never even talked about before. Are are you, I don't want to say, um, I'll ask it this way. Are you thankful that I chose to start racing for recovery and stuck with it as opposed to staying a drug rep? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, what if I didn't, what if I didn't do this or I quit yeah. and had to stay in something that I didn't want to do yet I mean you ever thought about like how that would have affected you you well I just know from like you talking in groups and stuff that like being a drug rep you were miserable doing it so I wouldn't want to have a dad miserable doing something he hated doing and felt like he was forced to go do it just to provide for his family I'd rather have it you do something that you enjoy doing and have a passion for which you do here so let's say this, and it's a lot of things that people come in here, you know, and they're talking about getting materialistic things back mm-hmm. right away, right? So let's say that, you know, I remained that drug rep and was miserable, but, you know, you can make pretty good money doing that. You know, where where's the trade-off for that? Like if, you know, I'm miserable, but hey, we're making a ton of money. Like what are you, what's your thoughts on that? Well, at the end of the day, money does not mean anything, so... So are you saying that when you find your life's purpose, then it can turn into really finding what truly what life's all about, right? Right. Um, hmm. Do you got any questions for me about what challenges I endure besides being your dad? <laughs> Please. Uh, I don't know. What challenges have you endured? They're documented in this exquisite book that's here. No. Um, <laughs> I, it's interesting. It's it. I'm so thankful, like that you work here now, because I think it's giving you a perspective of really, like how far that I don't want to say that I've come, but how far our families come, how far this program has come, and um, I think the cha- one of the challenges that I have overcome was trying to convey this stuff to you as kids about how important it is to be true to yourself Mm -hmm. and to go after what you want. And I think you being here now, you understand that, right? Right. The challenge I'm facing with that is like, how do I, how do I get that same impact into Mason Madison and, 
and Connor without them being in here because I don't really foresee them doing anything with us here unless Connor decides he's going to help build a new facility someday. could be the nurse here. That's true because <laughs> she is going into nursing. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> She'd be good at it. She wouldn't take any crap she like you She would not take any shit. <laughs> no. No. She'd be throwing some people out of here. Anyway, um, do you, what do you see any challenges for racing for recovery going in the future? Like even in 2021 as mm-hmm. working here, what challenges do you see you as an individual on our staff or us as an organization? I think we need to have more adolescent work because – a lot of the clients, families, like kids, are impacted by the choices they chose to make. So I think having an adolescent program would really make Racing for Recovery so much better than what it already is. What role are you going to play into making that happen? I want to lead it. Is that something like, well, there's another, there's another challenge in that. Like, are you, are you really contemplating that that's where your niche is going to be here? I want to do that. Like we go and do the kid thing at that neighborhood church in downtown Toledo, and I like being able to work with those kids. What's what has that experience done for you? Seeing kids that are like literally way less fortunate, not even economically, but they're less fortunate emotionally. Mm-hmm. What what have you learned from that? It's sad, and I just want to take them all home and be able to help them. But just knowing that we get to show up for them on Mondays and Wednesdays makes my week because they look forward to seeing us is that that experience of volunteering for the kids is that what really translated into you wanting to do that here yes yeah you know it's like half of our mission is preventing substance abuse in kids Mm -hmm. and it's you know i've done a ton of speaking engagements to schools and everything but as a as an agency we haven't really found our niche in doing that and with hiring our new clinical director he he brought that up too. It's like, let's be the, the first agency that does something with kids that doesn't start a program and then quit it because right. that's happened all over. Do you, you have any idea of like what that really looks like, like what you would do? I was kind of talking to Dan about this when I had my meeting with him, just more I, like basically IOP, but for kids. I don't know when we'd be able to do it because like school – but maybe if we just did a Saturday thing or just like even had more counseling opportunities for them to come in and talk or do something like if they're young while their parents are in group that they could do something with someone else. One of the things we've been thinking about, and this definitely is a challenge for us, is, you know, single moms mm-hmm. that they the single mom um, category with treatment, they're the ones that have needed treatment the most but often get it the least mm-hmm. because they're trying to do their best as a mom. So we were thinking of, if, you know, people come in after school, the kids here after school doing their educational group, and then the mom can do it at the same time. That yeah. would be ideal, right? Mm-hmm. Do you, um, you had mentioned this in group today about uh, uh, when you were doing your, your scheduling your classes yesterday about the person saying, well, you know, you could go do your, your internship mm-hmm. at another agency and learn from that. And what, what was your response to that? I said bracing for recovery is like an outer space compared to everywhere else. We're just so different. Yeah. How, how is that a challenge with getting our mindset into the normalcy that has been going on, you know, for probably 100 years and, and trying to help people with addiction? I just had a Zoom call with a client earlier and her probation officer and the probation officer was saying, well, when does she graduate? Uh, Who's her sponsor? Are you guys working the steps? And I'm like, that's not us. And I like explained to her what we do. And she's like, oh, that's really cool. And like, is gonna look into it more. There you go. That's how to get it switched. It's constantly putting that, that vibe out there, right? Do you, where have you seen a uh, a challenge in one of the people you've worked with here and how have they overcome it and how did you feel as a result of that? Um, I'm actually thinking of, I don't want to put a name on it, but the the person who's going to a hot room with you early in the morning. Oh, uh, well, she came in here from another place 
Um, and we kind of just clicked right off the bat. Like she started doing everything that I was like showing her and recommending her to do. And I started inviting her to come to hot room with us. And she, she does it every week with me now. She loves it. She's living on her own. She's getting her kids back in her life. She's getting her relationship with her dad better. Um, her youngest kid she gets to see now, which before she wasn't able to have any contact with her at all. So here's a, I don't know if I'm kind of answering it for you, but we're not, when you're licensed as a clinician, you are not to be friends with people, right? right. Which everybody understands that. However, how can you not have a friend, but build that productive relationship where the boundary is established of, mm -hmm. hey, we're not friends, but there's a a relatability, a respect, an understanding of what you're offering that that person is really seeking but hasn't gotten yet. So I guess the question that is, is how do you maintain that professionalism but still delivering our awesomeness in a uh, non-traditional way? I just make sure that the boundaries are set when I first meet with them. And just say, like, these are my expectations with you. These are what I expect from you type thing. And if a boundary is crossed, I make sure it's known. Um, like, don't text me at 2 in the morning <laughs> about there's dirty dishes in the sink type right. thing. Um, that did happen. But um, just inviting them to do stuff that I do around here and, like, maybe taking a group of my girl clients to lunch and like connecting them so they start to create those friendships with each other type thing I think that's another challenge that I I haven't faced it personally but with racing for recovery it's like the mindset of someone that has a drug or alcohol problem it's like especially the families oh you send them away for 30 days and when they come back they're cured and mm -hmm. a that's not true and then the other part of it is, is I want people that come in here, it's not about just educating a client on something that's in one of our books. It's getting them to be educated, but then applying and feeling the experience mm -hmm. from that education. That's the stuff that really resonates with people. And that's what's making the difference in the, the person we were referring to. I mean, she's been battling addiction for over a decade and mm -hmm. nothing has worked. And now she's truly living mm -hmm. because you have to have that experience. So let's get back to the, um, the kids thing for a second. How do you take that program that we want to develop? How do you instill that stuff in a kid that can prevent them from even using drugs in the first place? I think having like their parents come in or their parents' peers or just random people from here come in and talk about what they went through and their experiences because that's what I had growing up and it worked for me. Right. So why couldn't it work for someone else? 100%. If we can, and I, I think I said this in our first documentary, I was talking about you being born and how the cycle of addiction stopped with mm -hmm. me. It's like you guys made, and this is educating people, you know, there is a genetic predisposition to this, but by me being sober and putting you in an environment that is 100% conducive to sobriety, mm -hmm. that gene, if you will, will never be activated, right? So right. just because you're, you have a genetic predisposition doesn't automatically mean you're going to end up, you know, smoking crack, as we say around here all the time, right. you know? And if we can implement something that helps get kids to not become like your dad used to be or their parents, that's half the battle, right? Mm -hmm. Do you ever think of, uh, I wanna, let me ask you this. What, what has, now I will bring this up. The fact I've done a couple of physical events, um, different countries, different continents, and you've gone with me on some of those. How has the travel and the things you've learned about different cultures or the people you've met, how do you think that's helped shaped you into the person you are today as well? I'm thinking of shorty and stuff right now too, you know. Oh yeah. yeah. Um I don't know. It makes me like grateful that I've had the opportunity to go do that stuff with you and like having Madison and also like just going to France and seeing that yeah. people don't 
shower as much <laughs> makes me appreciate showers here in America. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, France was yeah, that was an interesting experience, right? Um where I mentioned Shorty, my buddy from uh, Australia, James, but what was going to Australia like? You know, the the culture over there and just the things we saw. Like I remember being in Sydney Harbor and yeah. seeing the Opera House and the Sydney Bridge and stuff. Those are things that you can't, you know, get from reading a textbook. How right. what, how has that stuff been like? Well, I remember the principal at North yeah. telling me I wasn't going to be able to go because I was missing like a month of school. <laughs> but... I still did my homework and still yeah. had good grades, and I got to experience stuff that a lot of people haven't been able to experience before. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, the prevention work that you're doing with these kids, if you can give them hope that they can go to Australia or go to France or anything, how do you, how do you feel about potentially being able to provide that for a young kid? It would be super cool because when we went to Arizona, the one little boy was like, you were supposed to take me. Why didn't you take me? And I'm like, you'll get to go someday. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, what's your relationship like with grandma and grandpa? It's good. I know that I can talk to them about anything. Um, haven't seen them really much because yeah. of COVID, but... I still text grandma and grandpa every day saying, love you guys, have a good day. Send them pictures anytime I'm doing something just so that they still feel involved. What do you think, or use an empathy, and God, I'm thinking of stuff that we've never talked about before. Have you ever thought of like, what it was like for them to have me as a kid and how, even like with granny, I mean, you knew Granny before she died or whatever. And the relationship like that I had with my parents and with Granny, how it's so different than you have with your parents and your grandparents. Is that stuff you ever think about, like what it was like for them to go through that? No, I don't know how the heck they dealt with you for that long. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I just, yes, these are some of the things just talking to you right now that I've never... I'm never even, I thought about it, because even when I was in my own addiction, I looked at grandpa and I didn't even really understand, you know, he lost a wife to this, you know, and here I, here I was doing it right in front of him or whatever, and I, I couldn't see, like, what potentially this is doing to my dad and the relationship that you guys have. Um, it's, it's none of that stuff, yeah. you know. Well, I feel like, too, if I ever chose to use drugs, which I never will, but if I did... It, not only would I be, like, disrespecting myself, but, like, it would feel like a huge slap in the face to you, to grandma, grandpa. Yep. Like, I would never even, like, drink in front of you. Yeah. I just think it's disrespectful. You disrespect me in other ways, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I should mention the fact that you're, we're both wearing nice stuff from Lululemon today. Right. And I thank them for providing us with this stuff to wear on this podcast. But um, not to put it in a, um, oh, I'm wearing this type of thing. But what does it feel like to have, you know, a company like that, that we use their stuff all the time? We've been using it for years. How mm -hmm. does it feel to have them recognize the work that Racing for Recovery is doing? It's super cool because then hopefully they can spread the word about us too because they're a big company and like we can I mean I use their stuff every single day um, I use it in Pilates I wear it every at least every day I have something Lululemon on because I love their stuff it's a good product I think of the remember the first yoga mats that we had in here and how they lasted about two weeks yeah and then we did it's like we you know when you're running a nonprofit organization you're cognizant of how you're spending the money and we we bought some lower end mats which no disrespect to the the company that made them but they just they didn't last with the volume of work we were putting yeah. on so i remember you saying to me dad you know we got to get some mats and we bought some lululemon mats and to watch people say wow these things are really they're comfortable or they last long and they're helping me and it brought them back in here and some of those people mm -hmm. like the person we were talking about earlier are still active in yeah. this stuff you know so 
special kudos to Lulu for helping us out. And we ended up having to get more Lululemon mats. That's right, because more out. people. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So, uh, Lulu, if you're watching, size medium shirt, I'll take anything in that. Right. Size four pants. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else you want to talk about? What else can we cover that we haven't really focused on? I don't know. How do you think your – I'll ask you this about your, your brothers and, uh, and sister. How do you think they look up to you, or what do you think they've learned from you? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I'm not really close with Connor and Mason as much. And Madison's like, you're always working. You're always at work. But, like, I always come home and talk about, like, how my day was at work. And they're learning from that. But I don't really, I don't know. Do you, Is that a, we're talking about challenges all day here. Is that a challenge that you'd like to change? Is there... I mean, it could be applicable for all of us as a as a family. Are we are we still in balance, or does that need to be adjusted? Do you think? Or I mean, I wish I was closer with Connor and Mason, but like we're all just on like different paths right now, and eventually we'll reconnect at the end. But we're all trying to figure out our life and how we want it to be. It's not a. This isn't like a negative thing. It's yeah. just to me, it's a positive thing. I mean, I'm as a dad, I have two kids in college, well, one pursuing a master's degree, another one's probably going to pursue one, a, a third child that's going to college, mm -hmm. and, you know, and um, if Mason doesn't go to the NHL, which he talks about, <laughs> you know, um, but it's like, I call that just getting getting your life going, and that's right. okay. When we reunite as a family, we're ripping on each other and <laughs> laughing and having a good time, right? Right. Um. He can cut this. What are you talking about? Oh, oh, yeah, right. We ran a half marathon recently. Actually, we you well, you ran your first half marathon. What was that like? I signed up for it two weeks before the race. Um, I ran maybe twice before, so it was it was tough, but I felt good to finish that, and I definitely want to do more. So that is the same attitude I have with Ironmans. That's why yeah. I stink at Ironman, because I don't prepare that. <laughs> right. right. Well, what did you learn from that experience? First of all, that was incredible to, to uh, do that with you. That was really cool, and I love that picture we got afterwards. But what did you learn from that experience that moving forward you can take with you? Definitely run more. <laughs> um, <laughs> But, like, having you out there and having John, like, really push me the whole entire race and tell me, like, to keep going really motivated me because there was a few times I was like, screw this, don't want to walk. And I did not know that I was going to be able to run that far without stopping, but I did it. So now that I've done that, I know I can do a lot more and push myself to do a lot more. So that's what I'm going to do. How do you, do you have a desire to run another one of those? Yes. First, I didn't. Of course you did, right? <laughs> I remember that. Do you, are you even thinking of going further than that? No, um, I want to finish a few more of the halves yep. first. Yep. Halves <laughs> are good. Half marathons are good accomplishments, a good race. How do you take that accomplishment and correlate that into when you're working with people here that how they can do whatever they put their mind to? just to set goals for yourself and they might like that was a high goal for me and you can achieve anything you put your mind to as long as you're determined and focused on doing it you can do it that's true and I almost ran that by myself because John was hurt that's right and then you had signed up for it so I didn't have to run by myself and then John did it and then we all did it together but either way I was going to finish that that's thing. right you did. Uh, what, did that help you, like, with you pursuing your master's degree? Did finishing that, I mean, how do you think it helps, is going to help you even when you have some struggles academically or you're like, I, I don't want to go, it's January 10th and it's Tuesday night and it's late, I don't want to do it. How do you take that experience from running that half marathon and move that into pursuing your master's? Just looking forward and knowing to like how I'm going to feel when I do get my master's and graduate from Toledo, then it's going to make all the 
struggle is worth it. So I'm just sitting here thinking about where potentially you're going to go. Do you have a desire to like do what I'm doing here someday? I'm taking it over. Awesome. <laughs> Can you do that next week? Yeah. <laughs> do you, do you see challenges in that? Like actually taking over what I've been doing for a long time? I mean, everything is going to come with a challenge, but like I've been around this so long that yeah. I, I kind of know what I'm doing. How do you, how are you going to do it better than what I have? Um, I'm going to continue to have the self-respect I have for myself and be stern and say no to when things should not be happening. I hear you. Not you, be a doormat. And do, <laughs> well, hey, we're always open and honest. Do you think I have been that doormat a lot of times? Yes. Yeah. Is that hard to watch? Yes. Well, like with the running shoes, like when you help people get running shoes, like it's nice, but like people need to earn it first yeah. and not just be given. I agree. Stuff. Is that going to be applicable the next time you ask me for a trip to Lululemon? No. Okay. I just wanted to clarify Because <laughs> I earned but, it. <laughs> right, right. No, you have. You have. Right? What is... If you had any advice for me, when you talked about not being the, quote, doormat, but running this thing, what do you think I need to be doing more of or less of? I think just really the doormat thing is, like, the biggest thing I thing I see because, like, people will see one nice gesture and then everyone expects it. And then when it's given to everyone, they're going to expect more and more. And it's like, one's enough going to be enough type thing you know that's it and again this comes back to on a therapeutic or a clinical thing um it's interesting the mindset that you have at your age that i didn't have at all and now even at almost 54 years old i'm just starting to really get and i don't think i fully understand why it's taken that long but you have taught me to look at some of this stuff completely different, you know, because I'll be honest, some of the things have been, <laughs> it's been difficult to have that, not only be the doormat, but have it constantly walked on, you know, but I have always come from the mindset of, I would rather give um, for what has been graciously given to me and get burned than to not give at all. But I'm trying to get those two to, mesh and kind of be more I want to be you when I grow up is what I'm trying to say <laughs> right you know <laughs> um let, let's talk about this and then I'll, I'll wrap up what what's describe our relationship like the banter even the the heartfelt stuff what give people an idea what it, what it's like to be my kid well, one word to sum it up would be shit show, <laughs> but it's, I don't know, we have a good relationship. Like I'm able to communicate to you when I'm frustrated, which yeah. we both know. Yeah. Um, you're able to communicate to me when you're frustrated. Um, we always joke with each other. We have, we always make fun of each other. In a, but not in a demeaning no, way. Yeah. It's always like fun. I, when I wake up before you to go work out, I call him Sleeping Beauty. That was funny. <laughs> yeah, that happened once. Yeah, that was good. You know, um, how do you, where do you want our relationship to get better? How do I be a better dad to you? Uh, I don't know. So I'm a perfect dad is what you're saying? No. Right. <laughs> Uh, just like, I don't know. Do you, do you think that, our, that I'm in balance with being your dad and your, the other kid's dad? Like, am I back? Because for a while, I, I know I wasn't. It's been documented. I was so focused into getting racing for recovery out there that I was not in balance. Do you see my role as a dad now has become more balanced with you guys? I think it's more balanced, and I think, too, just, like, Madison and Mason especially are at the age where, like, they're too cool for their parents, yeah. 
which I know I was when I was in high school too. But like now that I'm older, I like want to be around you and mom more. Yeah. I think that's, I love watching you guys hang out with mom and do stuff. Not it's, you know, yes, as a, as a parent, but it's more of that person relationship. That's one of the things about our family that I've really enjoyed getting older, if you will, of watching that. It's like, Hey, this is, it's a, it's more of a, I'm sure somebody's going to rip on me for this, but like a, a peer or a buddy. Yeah. I mean, I look at you as like, you're, you're fun to hang out with. I mean, I'm still your dad, but it's more of like, we do stuff together. That's why I've enjoyed like the, the travel and things so much, right. you know? Um, and we've talked about a lot of stuff there, challenges, right? You want to talk about Milo? <laughs> I don't well, like him. Why don't you like him? <laughs> I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, why? What is wrong with Milo? He's a good boy. He's a pain. Yeah, he is. He's tough. Yeah. <laughs> but you see, like, and you got to blame your sister for that thing. It wasn't me that wanted him. <laughs> I know. You know, but I love him. But how has, with respect to our lifestyle with nutrition and being, living a plant-based lifestyle, that I know Milo is difficult at times, but do you like do you look at him now in a different light that now you're not involved with killing them, let's say? Yeah, he's definitely like a dog. Like he yeah. does the same things Avery does. He's just way more annoying. <laughs> but I just could never imagine like eating him. Yeah, that's the well, like you kids, that dude has won the lottery. Yeah. Oh my God. But and I often wonder that. I'm like, dude, you realize how good you have it, you know? But I looking at him with compassion as I do for humans and certainly you as a as my kid, that's the biggest thing that he's taught me. It's like this dude is just a living thing, right? Mm-hmm. He's no different than the the cats or the dogs during the house. He has the same emotions and feelings as them and that even though he's tough to deal with it at times that's the point right all the time right he's not allowed near me (laughs) do you ever ask madison like why she wanted him so badly no you know and if i wasn't a good dad i wouldn't have let her bring him in i'll never forget when she kept saying dad i want a pig i want a pig i'm like Fine, if you find a pig, we'll take him. And I'm, she came in, Dad, I found a pig. I'm like, oh, my God, man. But I remember going and picking him up. He was cool then because he didn't bite. <laughs> That's because he knows you don't like him, right? Well, at least he knows. It's kind of like the clients <laughs> that bite you around here, you know? <laughs> they don't. <laughs> no. Um, I appreciate you being on here. Thanks. Right? You're a good kid, and I, uh, I love you. And I'm proud of you, and I truly look forward to the day where you take over my job and tell me to get out of here. Love you, too. All right. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Ignite Euphoria, everybody. We'll see you again. Check out racingforrecovery.org and toddcrandall.com when you have a chance. Take it easy. Bye. <laughs>